the perfect person or the perfect body. <laughs> and I was going to have Jose play, um, what was it? Oh, Pretty Woman, you know, that, you know, from the 60s. And Rhonda says, well, everybody will think of the movie. And it was R-rated, you know. And I said, no, that wasn't what I was thinking of. I, I was thinking of Roy Orbison's Pretty Woman, you know, and, and uh, you know, walking down the street, you know, that, that thing. And, or um, we look in our, our society, our advertising, whatever, always kind of leans toward what, who is the most perfect person and what would make a perfect person. So whether it's a model, whether it's a man or whether it's a woman, whether it's a teen or whether it's a child, what is, what is and who is what makes up the perfect person, the perfect body? Well, there is the perfect face. Did you know that? There is the perfect face. And they have it geometrically designed. It has the right distance between the eyes and the nose and the mouth and the chin. And it just so happens it's me. <laughs> you can believe that one, huh? That's not true. Uh, you know, I was just kidding. Okay. So the, the perfect person, the perfect body. Well, we also know that a person who maintains that type of um, figure or disposition or whatever, it doesn't just happen. We know that it takes a great deal of uh, right eating, <laughs> right exercise, right amount of what you feed your mind. So the perfect person, um, but we could also say the perfect person for what? You know, um, for me, I, I kind of like football. So what is the perfect person for an offensive lineman? Well, he has to have a reach of at least 33 inches. <laughs> He's got to be at least six foot six or better. He's got to probably, this is professional, but even some high school players are over 300 pounds. <laughs> and so you see this type of individual, he said, well, that, that makes, I, we, have a, we had a friend, his son, his arm reach was 32 inches. And he was six foot five. And he couldn't be uh, a number one draft for the um, Division I schools because his arm reach wasn't big enough. And if you stood beside this kid, he was huge. <laughs> you know, and I'm thinking, you're not big enough. <laughs> and the perfect person. So we, we look at that, and well, what about a quarterback? You know, well, a quarterback's got to be at least six foot three, and if he's not six, if he's only six foot, he's too small. We see some of these guys that were cut out, and they've got to be fast, they've got to be knowledgeable. How about basketball? Now, there are some big guys. Seven footers. There was this guy on the plane. We went to, we flew once um, down to, was it Tulsa? We were going to Tulsa. And this guy got on the plane, and he literally could not fit in the seat. He couldn't stand up, and he couldn't fit in the seat. They had to take him up to the front of the plane and put him in a special seat. He was a basketball player for one of the universities in Tulsa for Oral Roberts. <laughs> and he was seven foot. He didn't fit in the plane. <laughs> and so when you look at these individuals, basketball, baseball, football, how about skiing since the Olympics is coming up? What would make the, the perfect bobsledder? Now, may, many of you don't know this, but it's a little-known fact that the bobsled was named after one of our members, Bob Paris. So, 
yeah. It's a little known fact, but I just thought I'd bring you up to date on that. Yeah, the bobsled event is named after Bob, and I won't tell you how it got its name. But anyhow, <laughs> that's a joke also to those of you documenting things. So we all know that it takes a certain mentality and a certain physique, a certain personality, a certain body. So what is the perfect body? Well, let's read Romans chapter 8, verses 9 to 11. But if God himself has taken up residence in your life, you can hardly be thinking more of yourself than of him. Anyone, of course, who has not welcomed this invisible but clearly present God, the Spirit of God, won't know what we're talking about. But for you who welcome him, in whom he dwells, even though you still experience all the limitations of sin, you yourself experience life on God's terms. It stands to reason, doesn't it, that if the alive and present God who raised Jesus from the dead moves into your life, oh, the perfect person, the perfect body, is the one who has allowed Jesus Christ to move into their present life. We often are in the concept of looks, you know, and you want to look good, and you want to dress, you know, half decent, you want, half decent, <laughs> you want to dress well, you want, you know, dressing for success, that was one of the other titles I was thinking of for this particular series of messages, dressing for success, put on Jesus Christ, <laughs> put on, that means you are allowing Christ to become part of who you are in your, in your uh, and I was thinking in the context, and perhaps be doing that a little later, the armor of God. You know, the helmet of salvation, the, the breastplate of righteousness, the belt of truth, the, the shield of faith, the sword of the spirit, the gospel, the, the feet of peace, you know, and uh, we have all these things. Put on these things. Well, in this case, we're looking at how that, as a person, we are allowing God to move in. And then it goes on. He'll do the same thing in you that he did in Jesus. Bring you alive to himself. So as we allow Jesus to move in to our life and uh, as we allow God, that uh, this alive and present God who raised Jesus from the dead moves into your life, he'll do the same thing in you that he did in Jesus. <laughs> so when God moves in, there's something going on. There's a change going on in our life and we have a whole new perspective about ourselves and about life and about what we're going to do and what we're going to achieve bringing you alive to himself when god lives and breathes in you and he does as surely as he did in jesus you are delivered from the dead life with his spirit living in you your body will be as alive as christ hmm. so the perfect body is the one that is alive in Christ, where God himself has taken up residence. So God is living in us, and his truths are alive in us. So as we experience life on God's terms, experiencing life on God's terms, if the alive and present God who raised Jesus from the dead moves into your life, there's a big change going on. So an athlete who has a perfect body for their sport 
has often trained daily. You know, um, I, I think of, of skiing, you know, and the, the downhill racers and, you know, all of that. Um, and I, I'm, I'm making lots of references to uh, our son, David, but when he was a ski racer, okay, we, you have no, I mean, I had no idea how much training goes into racing. I mean, it was a, it was a constant training. And at the time, it may have changed, but there was as many as 20 different moves for one gate. You know, as you're approaching those gates where they're knocking them down, going back, there's, there's, a, there's a whole sequence of events that starts, like when the gate's in front of you, when you're at the previous gate, you are not looking at the one you're at or the one you're going to be at. You're looking two or three down. You're always planning your moves two or three things ahead. And you're, and you're doing this at a rate of anywhere from 20 to 40, 45 miles an hour in the, in the slaloms. And you are, you are setting back, you are leaning back, you are pushing yourself, you're pushing on the tails of your skis to propel you forward so that you can end up on the front of your skis to carve your turn to, to get you headed in the next one and propelling yourself around and in and it's just, it, you know, it is a, you'll be able to see it in slow motion <laughs> at the Olympics. And the margin of difference between winning and losing is fractions of an inch covering a whole hill. So, an athlete who has perfect body for their sport, who has perfect training, what happens, there's, there's a lot of risk involved. They're willing to pay the price, mentally, emotionally, physically, and often they are part of a team working together, working in training. What do you think the body of Christ is? The body of Christ is a group of individuals working together, entirely different, running their own race, but yet part of something that is greater than themselves. That we are part of something that is greater than who we are. The team that we represent, our, our body here uh, of Christ, is greater than what the sum total of is the number of people sitting in the pew and the number of people who are affiliated or associated with the church. It is greater than all this. And you see, the body of Christ, Jesus paid the price for us to be redeemed, are forgiven of our sins. And we are purchased that he has moved in to our lives. And so we are not perfect, okay? Lest we think that we are the perfect body and the perfect ten, you know, um, if you think you're the perfect ten, wait a couple of years, <laughs> and it'll come a seven, <laughs> a five. <laughs> wait long enough, and never mind. Uh, so, we are not perfect. In our spiritual life, we are not perfect in our lives. We are not without flaws. Even perfection has its flaws of wanting everything perfect. So we experience all the limitations. The scripture says we experience all the limitations of sin, meaning that we, we have our faults. We have our, shall I say, um, idiosyncrasies, our our idiot responses, 
are, are things that we do that are just you, you know? That, that's just so you. Anybody ever say that? To you? That's just so you, you know? I don't know if they mean that in a good way or a bad way. But, um, so we're not perfect. We do not, we, do, we, we have our flaws. But we strive to take hold of that which for, that Christ is taking hold of us. Our goal is to take hold of what God has taken hold of us for. Now, if God has moved into our life and he has given us abilities and, and, and touched our lives, he has a purpose for us. So we then are trying to take hold of what God has taken hold of us for. See, God has moved into our hearts and lives, and, and God has a plan and a purpose, and we've got to wrap our mind and our hearts and our, our will and our desires around what God has for us to do. When uh, I think of cheerleading, hi, Allie. <laughs> Allie's a cheerleader. Um, but whenever uh, Rachel was cheering in competition, you know, she was a competitive cheerleader. But I remember when she went to uh, Springfield, Missouri to school and graduated and t- started a teaching position, and she started cheer- training the um, kids at this one school to be competitive cheering. Well, um, maybe uh, Alec and, yeah, I'm not going to have you come up and demonstrate anything, so you don't have to be afraid, okay. (laughs) But um, the the school was generally just a stand on the sideline, hello, goodbye, raw, raw, kick him in the knee, you know, all that kind of stuff, and that was it. So whenever they wanted a competitive squad, okay, so they wanted, they wanted, so Rachel brought in this thing, you know, brought in these, some other, herself and some others. And um, Rachel has this, you know, you wouldn't maybe know it now, but she could do, uh, they, she brought in this, the, the, this word play, whatever. Anyhow, there's this guy standing there with one hand, and she's with one foot on his hand, has the other foot above her head, and doing her cheer up in the air, and these kids about fell on the floor. You know, because they had never seen anyone in real life do such a thing. You know, and so she demonstrated for them, this is what you're going to do. <laughs> and then they went to camps and they went to all these other things. And in less than a year, they turned them into a, a very competitive squad. The, the challenge was they as individuals had to get their minds around what they were supposed to do. And in our lives, we are trying to get our minds around and our hearts around what God wants us to do. So, Luke, you see, if we are to start with this whole concept, if we are going to be the person that God wants us to be, the most important aspect of who we are has to start with our heart. So, if we are going to be the 10 that God wants us to be we've got to look at who we are as an individual and you can now you can say well wait wait a minute pastor it's a quarter of 12 and you're just getting started with the heart and then there's the mind and the mouth and the eyes and the ears and then there's the 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 gospel of truth and uh, the 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 fruits of the spirit and the gifts of the spirit and there I'm not going to do it all today <laughs> we're not going to we're not going to be a uh, competitive downhill racer, cheerleader, uh, football player. We're not going to be the best we can be in a few moments. 
But what we're doing is beginning to see that God has a pattern, a plan for our lives, and that God has entered into our lives for a reason. It stands to reason, doesn't it, that if the alive and present God who raised Jesus from the dead moves into your life, he'll do the same thing in you that he did in Jesus. God is going to do the same thing in you that he did in Jesus. A coach is going to do the same thing in us, the squad, that he has done, they have done, she has done in other squads. That's what a good coach is. That's why they hire them to do in the present group what they had done in others. And Jesus is the one who's doing this, and where does he begin? He begins with our heart. So our heart is more than just an organ that pumps blood through the whole system. Anybody here don't have a heart? <laughs> you know, it's like, it's, it's my little joke. If you don't have a heart, you're dead. It's just one of those things. Well, guess what? If you don't have a heart, that the heart is the seat of the emotions. And if your emotions are dead, you're just functioning. Your heart is functioning, but the emotions that are there are just kind of, dead. So in this case, we see the heart is more than an organ. It is the seed of the emotions, and the heart is where God is at work. Luke 6, 45, a good man out of the good treasures of his heart brings forth that which is good. An evil man out of the evil treasures of his heart brings forth that which is evil. For of the abundance of the heart his mouth speaks. Luke 6, 45. So we find then that God is saying it is from the seat of emotions where everything is. You want to know what motivates you for your vocabulary? <laughs> what motivates you for praise? Compliment left unsaid is a wasted thought. <laughs> so we have this seat of our emotion, which is our heart, and God wants us to speak from our heart. Now, the idea is God has changed our heart. God has changed our heart. You see, God, who raised Jesus from the dead, moves into your life. He moves into your life. He starts with heart, out of the abundance of life. So God changes our heart. We have a heart transplant. <laughs> he changes our heart. The same thing in you that he did in Jesus, he'll do the same thing in you that he did in Jesus. God will do the same thing in us that he did in Jesus. <laughs> Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Luke chapter 6, verse 43 and 44, 43 to 45 in the Message Bible. It's in the verse 45, excuse me. It's who you are, not what you say or do that counts. Your true being brims over into true words and deeds. Who you are overflows into words and deeds. So from our heart, our words and our deeds come. So we want to have a right heart. We want to have a right attitude. And so Christ moves into our heart, moves into our lives, and it overflows. And from our heart, then, we speak. 
but we're not going to do just the mouth just yet. We want to move to something else. Next big thing in a strong being, the perfect person, is that is our mind. Now, if you don't mind, it don't matter. <laughs> if you don't have a mind, you don't think. But guess what? We all have them. We all have our own thoughts. We have our own perspectives. You know, I remember Brother Mickle used to always say, um, uh, don't confuse me with the facts. My mind's made up. <laughs> and so, he, you know, what he was saying is that people would often be that way. They've already made up their mind as to how it should be, so don't bother giving me any other facts because I'm not going to change my mind. And, you know, he wasn't saying that about himself. He was speaking about other people. For in 2 Timothy 1.7, For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. God has given us a spirit, so when God has moved into our life, he doesn't move in with fear. Zig Ziglar's fear, false evidence appearing real. Fear is often things that we fear that really aren't true. So don't think about the fear. God doesn't want us to be shy with his gifts, but bold and loving and sensible. Sound mind, sensible. Sound mind is not swayed by lies. James 1.8, a double mind is unstable in all his ways. And God's ways are best. The double-minded man is likened to a ship on the waves. Should I do this or should I do that? Should I do this? Should I do that? Anybody ever have those t moments? <laughs> you know, that's why uh, Yogi Bear says, not Yogi Bear, the guy the cartoon, Yogi Bear, the coach, you get to the fork in the road, take it. Do you ever think that through? You get to the fork in the road, take it. So you come to the why, goes like this, which way should I go? When you get there, take the road. <laughs> which one? Well, that's where the wisdom and so on comes in. So a double-minded man is a guy who's constantly not, doesn't have a sense doesn't have a sense about what he should do with his life. And when God has moved into our life, God gives us a sense about what we should do and not do. And the sense is based on right and wrong. The sense is based upon that which is true and noble and of a good report. There be any virtue, be any praise. He gives us a sense about what we should be doing. And some of the markers that throw out options are the markers, is it going to be good? Is it going to be beneficial? Is it going to be lovely? Is it going to be pure? Is it going to be, you know, what are, the what are the advantages of it? And we look at it and we make decisions. But even in all of that, the perfect person, the perfect person is not flawless. So we look at some of the roads and some of the decisions, we say, that was a mistake. Well, life isn't over. God has a way of turning things around. And whenever we have the perfect person, body, you see, the alive and present God who raised Jesus from the dead moves into your life. He'll do the same thing in you that he did in Jesus, bringing you alive to himself. When it's all said and done, we're alive and we're going to live forever. God is more interested in the attitude of the heart than what we do or don't do. Hmm. So the mind of Christ is humble. 
humble humility is not um, the doormat that we everybody wipes their feet on. That's not Jesus. You know, we often. It's important that we get the correct image of Jesus. Because sometimes we have this guy who can't make up his mind and doesn't want to offend anybody because he's so humble. Well, Jesus called people vipers and snakes and whited sepulchers. I mean, that's about as bad as you can get for some individual. Whited sepulcher was a really nasty word to use against some individuals because a whited sepulcher was a tomb that was painted white so you didn't touch it. And he told these Pharisees, you are a whited, a whited sepulcher full of dead men's bones. <laughs> that was really nasty. And, and, you know, he just pointed out to them how, how off they were in their concepts and in their life. And then Jesus got so upset, he upset the, the money changers in the temple and drove them out with a whip. What are people going to think of you, <laughs> Jesus, for doing those things? So there is a time and a season for all things. There's a time and a season to confront evil. There's a time and a season to confront that which is wrong. And there's a time and a season to allow God to lead you and guide you. And where did Jesus go? He went into the Pharisees and he sat down. Not the Pharisees. He went, you know, um, he went into the sinners, into their homes, and sat down and ate with them. He had a way of making people feel comfortable in his presence. So he was able to know what he should do. The mind of Christ. Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus. Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus. Ephesians 6.17 Take the helmet of salvation. A military helmet. Oh. <laughs> uh. A helmet in those days was a piece of uh, metal formed to your head, and I don't know if they had any padding on the inside, <laughs> but it protected their heads from uh, swords and knives and blows of some sort. Whenever we are protecting how we think, protecting, there are some thoughts that we don't need to keep, you know? There are some thoughts that don't originate with God, nor do they originate with us. Some of your thoughts don't originate with you. They originate with the evil one. And we've got to be wise enough in our understanding that when Christ is in our heart and our life, not everything we think is right. You know, sometimes... Uh, we, we, you know, we meet individuals that no matter what they say, they're always right, you know. Um, <laughs> if you disagree with them, it's like, you know, what are you doing saying something different than what I'm thinking? Because you can't be right because I said it. And, you know, it's, anyhow, that's a whole different ballgame. So can I think God's thoughts? And the answer is yes. How do we think God's thoughts? Know the word of God. Know what the Scriptures say, because in the Scriptures, we have the mind of God revealed to us in the Word of God. So the, the Word of God is revealed to us, and the Word of God, Word of God is, re, is in there for us to think on, to muse over, to 
um, meditate on, to focus on, and allow that word to become part of who we are so that we come to the fork in the road, <laughs> we'll know which road to take. Because there's a, direct, a directive from God, this is the way, walk ye in it. That there is an assurance that this is the right path. Well, you know, as we spoke on a few weeks ago with uh, Paul, you know, he knew that he was supposed to go to Rome, <laughs> but he got on the boat that was going to be wrecked. You know, we would think of that, well, that was a mistake. It wasn't a mistake. It was exactly where Paul needed to be. Well, the boat sank, yeah? Your point is? <laughs> well, he wasn't supposed to be on the boat. Yes, he was. He was supposed to be on that boat. And the boat sank. He saved 275 people on the boat. And he also then witnessed to an island that they ended up being shipwrecked on. Paul was supposed to be on that boat. Because things go wrong doesn't mean that that's not the right decision and the right place to go. We, we have the assumption, you know, when Jesus was crucified, that was the right decision. He came to be the sacrifice. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, that there is a greater plan than the plan I have for myself. There's a greater plan that God has for my life than what I can think or imagine. We can't even imagine the things that God has prepared for us who love him. So therefore, we don't think big enough. <laughs> can I think God's thoughts? Yes. The word of God is in our heart and influences our thinking, our actions, our goals. And we set them and we go in the direction and God has a way of moving them, changing them. The perfect body has good hearing. <laughs> the perfect body has good hearing. Some people need hearing aids. <laughs> Some people just have selective hearing. They, Rhonda and, them had the, and, and, and Tabby had the audacity to, to tell me that when I flipped my mic on before I came up, it wasn't coming over the... Uh, PA system, but they could hear me singing in their ear. <laughs> and they thought I was making them off tune or something. <laughs> you know, it just kind of ruined their whole day. Who's this in my head? <laughs> it's Pastor. He's in my head. <laughs> He's singing. Oh, God forbid. <laughs> it ruins everything. But you see, he who has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the church. The Spirit says, hear this. And there's Revelations 2, Revelation, not, there's no book, there's not multiple revelations. This isn't called revelations. It's just singular, plural. The revelation of Jesus Christ. Okay, verse, chapter 2, verse 7. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. Hear this. To him that overcometh, I will give to eat of the tree of life, which is in the midst of paradise. Hear this. The Spirit gives to us life. Chapter 2, verse 11. Hear, he that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. Hear this. He that, ha he that overcometh shall not be hurt of the second death. Meaning, is appointed unto man once to die, and then comes the judgment. The judgment is nothing to be feared for the Christian. Hear this. 
He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto his churches. We listen to what the Spirit is saying. And what is the Spirit saying? It's it's in the book. (laughs) The Spirit will take his word and make it alive to our hearts. But if God himself has taken up residence in your life, you can hardly be thinking more of yourself than of him. Anyone, of course, who has not welcomed this invisible but clearly present God, the Spirit of Christ, won't know what we're talking about. But for you who welcome him, in whom he dwells, even though you still experience limitations by sin, nobody's perfect. Everybody has flaws. Everybody stumbles and falls even though you still experience the limitations of sin, you yourself experience life on God's terms. You experience life on God's terms. It stands to reason, doesn't it, that if the alive and present God who raised Jesus from the dead moves into your life, he'll do the same thing in you that he did in Jesus bringing you alive to himself. God will bring you alive to himself. And when God lives and breathes in you, and he does, as surely as he did in Jesus, you are delivered from a dead life. That's the perfect body. (laughs) You are delivered from a dead life. We are delivered from that which is dead and corrupt, and with his spirit living in you, your body will be as alive as Christ, and it doesn't die. It just keeps on living. Amen? Let's stand, shall we? (laughs) The perfect body. (laughs) Turn to someone and say, you know what? You're just perfect. (laughs) You're just perfect. (laughs) And those who go, yeah. (laughs) And your point is? (laughs) We're just perfect. You know, just perfect. And got a few flaws, but you know what? Just perfect. The perfect of the scripture does not mean without flaws. Okay, that's the difference. We think of perfect as without flaws. The perfect of the scripture is that we're perfectly suited for the task that God has given us to do. (laughs) Father, we thank you for your spirit alive in us for the work, O God, you do in our lives. We just turn it all over to you, Lord, knowing that you will accomplish accomplish the work. You will accomplish the task for which we were created. We thank you for the blessings. We thank you for how you've worked in us and you moved through us. And Lord, you are alive in us. We are grateful. We ask God your blessing now upon our lives, upon our work of service, the direction we have for our lives. God, we just ask you to pull all of these things together as we turn our hearts to you and welcome your presence into our lives. We pray in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. God bless you.